HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello. This is your host, Dana Cowan. Welcome to Speaking Broadly, a show where brilliant women in the food world share stories about their lives and careers that provide lessons and inspiration for anyone looking to succeed in any industry. My guest today is inimitable Jenny Britton Bauer, the founder of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. She launched the company in 2002 with what was then a completely unique idea, using whole ingredients, dairy from pasture-raised cows, rather than using synthetic flavors or commodity ice cream mixes. And her flavor combos, oh my goodness, they are completely unheard of. Can oil and chocolate, yes, and it was completely delicious. Right now, she has 23 stores. She's written two cookbooks, and one of them, Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams at Home, has more than 100,000 copies in print. I am so in awe of that number, I have to tell you, just knowing how you know tricky that, that book market is. But it's because there's a pent-up demand for the uh, type of ice cream that you create and those flavor combinations, and just thinking completely out of the box, which I think brings us to our first question, which is really about entrepreneurship and how this all began. And I think you said that from being um, a little, really little girl, you had that gene. You wanted to, um, you know, organize and make, create, and, and sell. So tell me a little bit about your um, I think what I, I could call like the Marigold Project. 
Ah, yes. Yeah, you know, I was, I think I was, I mean, I was always a huge introvert growing up. I mean, um, and yet also, I think I was born um, a connector and an organizer and gatherer. And so, um, and you know, that is like what entrepreneurship is, is just connecting all these dots and bringing people together and making something bigger than what is in front of me, you know, out of the things in front of you. And so, yeah, I mean, once I, once I realized, like, my grandmother taught me that you could pick all the marigolds, that, that if you plant the marigold seeds, or if you save them till the next year, um, they grow new marigolds. And, That's like, everyone cool, in right? my neighborhood had them in their front yard. And so when they all went bad, I mean, I just went door, like, house to house and pulled all those seeds out, took them home and put them in, and then separated them into plastic bags and went back around to the same houses and sold them back to them, you know, for 10 cents a bag or something like that. That is impressive. It also, it's very painstaking work. I mean, yeah. that that's not like um, the first thing that would come to mind for when you're a kid. Yeah, and it's also um, something that the people who lived in these houses were not going to do. And they, they were going to go back and buy the flat of marigolds. And probably they ended up doing that anyway uh-huh. um, the next year. But the idea that you can sort of add value to something is really interesting to me. And it always was. I mean, right. that's just one of many examples. I mean, I've, I've been in trouble. You know, even as an introvert and a shy kid, I was always in the principal's office for trying to sell something on the playground. <laughs> <laughs> um, not other kinds of weeds other than marigolds, yeah, I right. imagine. No. no. But, um, oh, what else did you sell them? I'm intrigued now. I mean, one time I found a whole a whole giant stack of sticker paper that, like, back in the 80s, nobody had sticker paper. You couldn't just go to Staples and get sticker paper. And so I was in business making custom stickers for people. I mean, I, I failed purposely um, spelling tests because it was, like, a daily thing we had to do for the whole week so that I could have, you know, 20 minutes a day extra to work on my on my sticker project and I to this day I'm not great at spelling because of that I don't have to be anymore it's fine no um but I did um uh shoelaces and I had people selling for me in fifth grade and our principal looked like Tom Selleck and he was awesome and he was not happy about that and um and then in high school I had you know I figured out how to make pixie stick dust by putting Kool-Aid in a food processor with sugar and like I mean you know, filled straws with them and stapled them every night and sold them for two for 25 cents. I had huge high school in Dayton, Ohio. It was like 4,000 kids. I mean, it was absolutely massive. And um, three different wings, and I had people selling them. And we, we, would, we would make 20 bucks a day. Okay, this is amazing. So you actually had a sales team. I mean, not only did you have the idea, not only did you sort of create something new, but you had a sales team? Other yeah, kids? yeah. And I never, you know, I, um, I didn't charge them for my extra work every night. You know, I was the one that made all this stuff. You know, um, we all just went out and got pizza afterward or whatever. We'd spend it on that something. That was the payment, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, and then you started in um, an ice cream company before Jenny's that was called Scream. Yeah, you know, so really, so my, my grandmother Enid is an artist, and I was brought up by her and very free-thinking artist, not in any way driven by money. And um, and making things, you know. So um, so we would stop off at a at a ditch and pick all the cattail weeds out of it, and then we, you know, she'd teach us over a couple of weeks to make baskets out of that. And my other grandmother Betty grew up in the Depression too, but had a different way of thinking about it. Hey, you can make a basket. I know somebody who wants a basket. Let's make a bunch of them and go sell them over there. And so that's an easy way to think of it. But like when you're brought up that way, um, you start to look at every, you know. Every room is, you know, where are the opportunities here? You know, what are the, what are the opportunities to make something out of something and make it better than what it was or make something that people, 
you know, could use. So how did the um, that first ice cream opportunity come to you? Because I know that you were really interested in um, perfumes and blending and essential oils. Like, how does a kid from Dayton, Ohio, first of all, you know, get fall into perfumes and essential oils? Well, and I came from a family who does what they want to do. Okay. I mean, so I never, ever once in my life on either side of my family did I ever think that I had to take the SAT. Um, do homework. I never did homework. I never in my life did homework until I got to Ohio State University. Um, and literally not once. Um, did you complete Ohio State? No, I dropped out to go make ice cream. And this is, yeah, this, this is, awesome. is exactly where it all, it's all <laughs> heading, you know. So I, um, so I knew that I, I was studying art. I knew that I wanted to make something. I knew that I would probably work for myself because of the way that I'd been raised. Um, and um, and yet I also knew that I had, to, I had to make it. I had to find a career. I, I also came from, um, you know, a mom who was a single mom for, for a long time in my life. And, like, um, that I had to break out on my own and go and go be responsible for my own life. And so actually making money was, a, was an important thing to me. Having a career, um, even though it never occurred to me, like, to complete school and do it that way. I just didn't know that life. Um, so I was looking for what I was going to do, and I was trying to, and I was sort of in a creative time. I was only 20, 21 years old, um, and I was uh, studying art and fine arts, and then I worked at a, at a pastry shop, and I thought, well, gosh, maybe I should be a pastry chef. My last project, art project in high school, I was very much in art in high school. It was all a, um, uh, was a menu, a painted menu, um, and it was of American-style desserts, but with more French-leaning sort of um, ingredients, because I worked for this French, actually a Belgian family, but... They were um, they had a French bakery, and um, I thought that would be really fun to do like very tall, like colorful cakes and so on, but like with really good ingredients. And then, uh, and then somewhere along the line, I got into scent, and I've always been very connected to my scent. I grew up; uh, my family had this ten acres of forest land. We had honeybees, we had maple trees that we tapped for maple syrup. We um, and we grew; we had ten or twelve gardens out there every year. It, I was very connected to plant matter and what was going on in every season out there, and my sense of smell. And so I thought, maybe, so it occurred to me that maybe I had to go into perfuming because I'm really good at this, <laughs> and maybe that there was a way to connect that to art and experience and transporting people and that whole thing or whatever. So those three things were going on in my life. And one day I thought, maybe I should mix some of these essential oils I have into store-bought ice cream for a party I was going to just to make a hot ice cream. And, um, and then once I did that, light bulbs went off, sparks happened. I understood the opportunity there. I knew, I knew a bunch of chefs in my town and um, people who worked in restaurants and whatever. I knew that there was like, uh, I knew something about food. I knew a lot about kitchen technique, you know. And I just knew that there was something there. And, you were and I quit so- everything a few months later. I mean, within weeks. And you are so right. But you also shut that down. And it doesn't sound like you shut down because it was a failure. You shut down because you recognized that you had more to learn. Like, at what point do you know, does one know, does a listener know? Like, pull the plug here. Like, you know, and change course a little bit. In some ways, I think you know when you know. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe even by then it's gone a little too far. But, um, <laughs> but. I, you know, scream ice cream is what I call it. And I was in an in a nor- indoor public market, the oldest public market in the Midwest, just great public space, with lots of different merchants selling lots of different things. And I was w- working with all of the ingredients from the market to put in my ice cream. I actually still work with many of the same growers and makers over in Ohio. Um, but there were a lot of things that I just didn't know, you know, that I thought I knew. I thought I knew how to make ice cream while I got my ass handed to me on the first day. You know, do you, I don't know anything about ice cream, right? But I got to make ice cream every single day for four years there. And that's where that foundation came from. I mean, I learned by doing and exploring and not necessarily by learning from people who already think they know how to do it. Right. Which is great because I've created my own way. But then I went back to Ohio State and learned 
and they're in, um, they have an incredible dairy science program. I went to Penn State, of course, did that famous program too. And I've been able to continue the work based on the foundation that I got there from doing every day and listening to customers, you know, and, and making something and handing it over the counter and listening to um, feedback and getting that immediate response was so valuable. Everything that I learned at Scream, I, I, re- I go back to that every single day of my existence now. It, I think of it like Virginia Woolf's, like a room of one's own. I got to explore and make stuff there and learn every single day very quickly. Nobody was telling me how to do it, but I still was doing a lot of things wrong. I, I think that to take that pause and say, I need to learn more, most people could benefit from that advice because I think you feel like you're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. What more could you need to know? But in fact, there's a lot. And um, isn't there right now um, such a, a focus on... Um, what kind of round of funding you're in, you know, you're very young, you want to go into business and you've got an idea and you think that's the end of it, right? And all you have to do is go get your money and that's it. And, and that is not my experience. My experience is 21 and a half years of boots on the ground, doing it in service to our customers, in service to our community, listening, trying to keep, you know, keep my values and doing, well, my values about my, the product and the quality and like what kinds of stories I want to tell next thing, but also melding that and, and allowing it to be a two-way conversation with our customers. And I feel like there's people who are in too big of a hurry now. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I spent longer than many companies, you know, but I've also did something crazy because ice cream is a, is just not an easy nut to crack. It's a very complex business to be in. Well, and in fact, um, I'd love to talk about the challenge that came up in 2015, which is when, um, after running the company for so long and having these amazing ice creams that are hugely popular, um, you had a listeria problem that was detected by the FDA. And at first, I felt bashful about asking you, because, oh my God, that must have just sucked. But in, um, you know, reading about your approach to it and talking to you, you're like, it was great. It was terrible. But, yeah. but you learn so much, and it's the type of thing that you, once you go through it, you're better on the other side. So do you want to talk a little bit about um, what you learned in that process and how it has completely changed your business up for the better? Well, it's weird because crisis, you know, the difference between crisis and stress is that crisis is a complete crisis. You break with the past. You start a new future. And you have to reimagine what your future looks like now. And the faster you can come to acceptance uh, and accept the problem and move to that, the, the better off you're going to be in the long run. And I, and I um, so, you know, just uh, ass- assessing the situation and acting is the best thing you can do when something like this happens. It's, you know, it could happen to anybody, absolutely. Um, and in good food, we have a lot of unknowns ahead of us. And that's awesome. When we're bringing in huge fields of strawberries into our kitchen uh, from, you know, piles of dirt in the country, we got a lot to work out yet. And that is awesome. Those are great challenges that we can have. But, um, you know, I think our company, um, without question, now has kind of set a standard for what you do in a recall. I mean, we have never questioned what we put our, our customers over our company. And I think we proved that um, here and, uh, and created a lot of trust, too. Uh, well, yeah. you, I think you threw out 2.5 a million dollars worth of ice cream, um, and I'm not even going to talk about how much. Uh, yes, there was that, and then and then even more. You know, more. when it when it can, when it comes to, um, you know, we didn't. One of the things that I'm proudest of over the last two years is that as we can we started back up, um, 
that we didn't that we, that we that we started making the ice creams that only we can make. We just figured out how to do it now, how to um, do it without a question of safety. There's always a question of safety, but you you. you eliminate every single possibility you can and not with because it's actually easy to make really safe ice cream Mm -hmm. right you just get a bucket of already sanitized something and you mix it with something else sanitized Mm -hmm. and you put it in your freezer and then it's now it's frozen but we were able to do it and it took longer you know we started with a couple of flavors and we just kept adding to them as we opened our stores back up Um, but we did it right and we did it with our values and reorganized how we do things we call it the fellowship model and that's pretty incredible um, What's the fellowship model? Um, it's just working with a lot of different people to to bring something to life. And so we can still work with our the same farmer we've worked with for a long time in terms of like all of our fruits and vegetables and strawberries and produce and all of that. Um, and then some of our other makers who we've had to help bring up to our new sort of um, very top-level safety standards. Um, but continue to work with everybody and when we have to separate things, we no longer bring any strawberries into our kitchen or any fruit in our kitchen. We, we send it somewhere else to be washed first so it doesn't come in. Um, but but we're still, we were still able to work with the same farmer who grew them before for us. But those take, you know, to restructure, reorganize every single part of our company in such a few short months um, was Herculean and really cool. And you also rewrote the recipes to reflect different safety standards. Is that right? Or I, I wouldn't say that we wrote, rewrote recipes. What I did was I started, you know, to, in our recovery, started with recipes that were easier to make. I see. And then we can we can work on the harder. I mean, our ice creams are often extraordinarily laborious to do. Um, we we got rid of six months of ice creams. We sent it to the anaerobic digester, and I always joke uh, that that takes us seven months to make. You know, uh-huh. so so what I was able to do while other people in our company were working very hard on um, on working with the FDA and all, and all of that to get us the things we needed to do, um, I was able to put my head down and start working on what can we make now? Who can help us? And I'm getting, meanwhile, also calls by you know from other amazing ice cream makers in Ohio and regionally and also around the country of how can I help, which is, which is incredibly cool. I was so moved by the amount of support that you had from the all the ice cream makers. And tell me about some of the people who reached out. That was just incredible. Oh, I mean, just, you know, ice cream makers in Ohio that reached out, um, just even our local, just in our city. But I mean, Three Twins Ice Cream all the way out in California um, uh, reached out. I mean, we're, um, it's, it was pretty incredible. And, you know, lots of people who aren't in ice cream, but in, in other ways or whatever, too. <laughs> right. um, and we ended up not working, not, not actually making our ice cream in another ice cream um, place, but working directly with our dairy who happens to have ice cream machines. And that's and they're actually way better than our ice cream machines ever were. So I don't know why we weren't doing this from the beginning. Um, well, sometimes you, when you learn, um, when you need to relearn, you find out something really smart, which is, uh, you know, redoing the process. Well, you know, you get too hung up on the way that you do it, and you think that that's what it's all about, and it's not. It's really about the end product, mm-hmm. and um, and how you get there, and you can do it a million ways. And that's what I, I always have said: creativity is not thinking outside the box; it's actually thinking inside the box. And you know, we all have the same resources, and we all have the same world that we all live in, and whatever. We're just trying to solve problems and. And um, and sometimes you know we do it the hard way just because I don't know we get hung up on some something, but what's most important are the relationships we've built in the world and um, you know things like um, making sure that our customers are safe and that people trust and that trust is a, such a big deal and uh, trust you've really I've regained people's people's trust. So I'd like to take a little break to have um, a guest read a um, a poem or a song, or sing a song or play an instrument. And do you did you bring a, a poem with you, or can you recite from memory your very favorite? 
my very well. I'm gonna. I will. I will recite my um, my favorite Edna St. Vincent Millay poem, and it's it's one that a lot of people know. But I, I think of it daily. I think of it a lot because it's kind of the way that entrepreneurs go, and it's um, what is it called? It's called a few figs, I think. Um, oh, it has a food first reference. fig. First fig. It's Great. called first fig, uh, by Edna St. Vincent Millay. My candle burns at both ends. It will not last the night. But ah, my foes and oh, my friends, it gives a lovely light. I think it's just about, you know, going forward. I don't know. You know, for me, it, it's it's about um, moving on, moving forward. Um, um, that's a go, great, go, go, and um, it's a great, uh, it's a great motto. Give it all you got, and yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, I almost also think like fight to the death. You know what I mean? Like you know, do something you love and and let it kill you. You know. And with that, we're going to take a short commercial break, and we'll be back with Jenny Britton Bauer from Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams in just a moment. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious fresh cheese curds, or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chirchois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com, and as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. Well, maybe we should have some Wisconsin cheese followed by an ice cream chaser. That sounds like such a great duo. Uh, This is Dana Cowan, your host of Speaking Broadly, and I'm speaking with my amazing guest, Jenny Britton Bauer. And we're going to talk a little bit about ice cream and taste and flavor. And I've long been an admirer of Jenny's because of the incredible combinations that she came up with and the inspirations behind the ice creams. And when I was at uh, Food & Wine Magazine as the editor-in-chief, we did stories on Eugenie and we would talk about uh, what are you doing that's different from what everybody else was doing. And an editor would talk to you and they'd come back and then they would lay out all of Ohio's culinary history. And I was like, oh, well, that's definitely different. Um, and some of the things that uh, I'm so interested in are the Marie Antoinette collection or the color collection. I would love for you to just talk about how you get from, you know, the from vanilla 
to the idea of your collections and the inspirations and how you sort of research and um, spend time developing these unique flavors for your customers? Well, yeah, I'm. I love history. I mean, I, I, and I love it so much that it's like my. I meditate. I don't. I don't like for any academic reason. There's no none. I mean, mostly, it is because I like to get as close to time travel as I can. I mean. I like to know something deeply. When I read about Zelda Fitzgerald, for instance, or even Sky Fitzgerald, I, I actually want to know, like, what kind of knit their socks were in, right? I, like, I want to know dumb <laughs> stuff about it because it helps me get there. I want to know what the air smelled like. I want to know what it sounded like around them, and I definitely want to know what it tasted like and smelled like. And to me, it's for me personally, it's all about getting somewhere else that I, you know, can't go physically. And um, you know, I'm um, I'm always in. One foot in now and one foot in another era. And I want to know everything I can about it. And it's always the stuff that, like, other people aren't as interested in. You know, it's not the timeline stuff. And and so flavor can get me there. I mean, I had a huge Marie Antoinette phase. I also studied the French Revolution in college. And um, uh, because I didn't, because I wasn't on, like, a track to get a degree. <laughs> I just did whatever <laughs> I, I wanted, right. whatever interested me. And I, I and that included Greek history and, and French history and whatever. But, um... Love the French Revolution, and uh, I had been on this big Marie Antoinette kick, and then Sofia Coppola came out with her fantastic movie, which saw it in a whole new light, and was just so almost edible anyway. And so, yeah, I was very inspired by that, and I had already read all the Marie Antoinette books, and uh, many about the French Revolution, and so um, that was exciting for me, and I wanted to go there in flavor. It's always way more for me than I will ever than, than I will ever put on our customers, you know? Right, but I mean, I just wonder, so you took the idea, I mean, it's not like you took the idea of um, you know the dresses, or the uh, you you I guess connected with the idea of toast, <laughs> um, extravagance. I wonder, you know, what about everything that you knew? How did you put it through the sieve of your sort of experience and your palate and come up with a flavor? Part of it is, you know, the um, uh, is our stories that you hear about um, um, about Marie Antoinette. I mean, you know, it wasn't let them make cake. I mean, she didn't actually say that. It was another earlier princess who actually said that, but it was attributed to her, and it was actually some, with the quote was, I can't remember it now because it was in 2006. It was 10 years ago. But it was about um, brioche, and so then it ended up being this very decadent ice cream that we created, which was like a buttered like a buttered brioche with jam. And, and we made... You know, it was random, so we had three different jams that we made in our kitchen that we swirled through, and so whatever day you would come in, it would have a different jam. Or jam. And it was like, uh, it was a lot of, I mean, yeah, so much fun. But the pear Riesling, which is still on our, our menu today, which is sorbet, um, came out back then. And um, and that sort of represented her beginnings in Austria. Oh, interesting. And what about the color collection, which I think was inspired by uh, Matisse? It, well, it was. I grew up with, um, I loved Matisse. Matisse is very easy for a child to love because it's so colorful, and especially the later works. I mean, all of them, but the cutouts. And I loved the cutouts. I had posters of that in my room. Um, there was an exhibition in St. Louis in 1973. I grew up in Peoria, Illinois. So, you know, my mother must have gone to that. And, and anyway, I had posters of that, and I, I always loved that. And so... Um, and I studied, you know, the, that art in college as well, between the wars kind of wars kind of art. And anyway, when they when MoMA did Matisse cutouts um, in 2014, I had to get to it because when else are you going to see all these things in person? And Amazing. I thought I had seen everything um, when it comes to Matisse and learned everything. I mean, I've been to um, um, Saint Paul de Vence in France, you know, ever, you know. So, but I get there and. Before I even went into the exhibit, there was the wall was painted such a deep 
blue, and it like seemed to take all of the moisture out of the room, kind of blue. And I, I immediately like, was just struck by the color, and um, and all the colors. Um, I didn't think I would be. I'd seen these so many times in my life, but being in person, and that blue was just a paint that they had used, you know, to as you're going in. But to me, it tasted weirdly like raspberry and pineapple. And um, throughout the entire collection, I just kept tasting those colors. You know, which so, is, you know, kind of in a way the way that I see the world anyway. Because you wait, hold on possibly. a second, I need to pause here. So you can see something and taste it, but you're not tasting a literal thing. Like your mind will see a microphone and it will think like. Mm. Well, not a microphone. <laughs> no, okay, something prettier. Not, than a not, not, not everything. <laughs> yeah, um, but I am, and it's really it's taste, and but but mostly scent. Okay, and uh, and Does I I think that this has I think this for me it's because I've been trained. Okay, because this is I'm 43 years old for half my life since I was 21 and a half. Um, I've been thinking in I've been seeing the world through the lens of scent mm-hmm. in a way. I've been playing with scent for that. So so I'm always looking for that because that's. That's what I've been trained to do, or whatever. Can I ask you something? Uh, do you smell ice cream? Does one smell ice cream? Um, y- not really f- when it's frozen, but ice cream is all about scent. Because um, what, and this is when, how I got into it. Butter fat melts below body temperature, um, and so it is the perfect fat to um, um, to to infuse with scent. And that's what ancient perfumers did. They found, you know, the different fats are different. Like cocoa butter is a great example. When you have a lip balm made out of cocoa butter, you, you can barely spread it on your lips. Mm-hmm. It doesn't melt below body temperature. It melts mm-hmm. above that. And so it's hard to spread on your on your skin. Whereas cocoa, coconut oil, um, the 76-degree coconut oil is very, you know, room temperature, it's solid, but it melts right in contact with your skin. And butter fat is exactly like that. So you can take a frozen pat of butter, put it in your hand, and it will immediately start to relax. Well, you can load that up with scent, so you won't be able to smell it when it's frozen. But what happens is, as soon as it hits your tongue, um, it melts and relaxes, and all of those scents um, volatilize out of the molecules of butterfat. And so that is what ice cream making is, is infusing butterfat with scent. Um, or you can also infuse the water that's, in, that's part of the matrix of the milk um, and cream. But mostly we're, we're working with butterfat. And, um, and it's an incredible thing, which is what set me off on this whole journey. Is, is from that place of scent and being able to make scented ice cream. Right. And it's, and it's different than other foods. I mean, you know, butter works this way. Many foods can work this way. But cream is such a, it's not a blank canvas, canvas, but it's really, it's very close. And, it, you know, it has this incredible finish of cream. It's not like other nut fats. I don't think that vegan ice cream yet is there at all, not even close, um, in terms of the fat um, and, and the finish and all of that. You know, butterfat is just so beautiful, but it also is a, f- a fairly blank canvas to tell a lot of really great scent stories and build um, note by note. Yeah. So, uh, would you ever do a scent line, like a you know? Because I know that you work sometimes with um, Mindy Aptel. Like, is there somewhere in the back of your mind, like you know, that would just be the ultimate? You know what? That's what I do. That's what I do every single day. Yeah. That is, you know, um, just right now I'm looking at a, a, a flavor that we're going to make for April, um, but it's made with tea and toasted rice, jamaicha, and, um, you know, it's the, the cream takes on the flavor of toasted rice because mm-hmm. we steep it right in the cream. Right. And we know, and you know, at the right temperature, 
and we know how to bring the cream and sugar to that temperature and then cool it down immediately so that it infuses in that way. But it is all, that is all I do. It's all scent. Right. But I was just, I meant, you know, as a perfumery, like, you know, ice cream on one side, perfumery on the other side, like that. Well, funny, even just exactly what you just said. Yes. One of our flavors coming out um, in April too is super, we're calling it super moon just because it's kind of fun and it kind of reminds me of the blue moon ice creams or whatever. But it is almost a a perfume on one side because it's creme de violette, violets. Mm. And on the other side, it's a, um, it's like a, 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 a natural essence that we've, created that tastes like marshmallows or smells like marshmallows and it's so much fun so um so and and the story is really like i think that violets taste kind of like lucky charms marshmallows and so we're kind of playing off of this and it's um and it's a swirl of two flavors in two different colors anyway it's going to be really fun that but absolutely it is you know yeah and i've worked with mandy and i love mandy and i love natural scents and we use essential oils all the time in ice cream it's even in my books so um how much ice cream do you think you've eaten in your lifetime? Like, are you tasting every day? I think you said you have a three o'clock tasting when you're at home, when you're, um, you know, at work, really. So, I, golly, I've eaten probably more than than most people. I wonder if I've eaten more than any other human being in the history <laughs> of mankind. I I eat ice cream a lot, and um, and I eat it for fun a lot too because I really genuinely like it. But you didn't um, grow up liking ice cream, right? Yeah, well, you know, ice cream, I, I grew up loving sweets mm-hmm. and ice cream. You know, I had a hierarchy. And so, you know, mine was like pecan pie and key lime pie and all, you know, all sorts of great stuff that my grandmother would make. But like ice cream was pretty far down the list. But I also took ice cream for granted because we ate it almost every night. Um, but we ate it before bed. <laughs> I stayed at my grandmother's house a lot when I was growing up. And she made this great strawberry free- freezer jam. And um, we would serve that over ice cream. And that was like my grandfather ate it every single night before bed. When we were over there, that was what we did. So to me, it wasn't like, I guess, a dessert, uh-huh. you know. It just oh. wasn't elevated the way that I think of it now. No, it's, it's certainly, it's come a long way in your hands and then people who've followed on, along behind you. Um, that brings me to a 30-second interlude. So I am curious to know. If you would be able to name your favorite, all of your favorite artisans in 30 seconds, or not all of them, but like, um, it's it's called the 30 second. Yeah. Okay. Artisans challenge. It could, and I'm going to give you choices. You can do artisans across the board, or you can do ice cream makers if you prefer. Um, but you have to choose one of those two, and. As many as you can do. I'll do artisans. You can do artisans. I'm probably better at artisans. Okay. <laughs> so um, take a sip of water. Yes. And um, on your count. Go ahead. Uh, Name artisans you love. I love Jean McKenzie from Cleveland. McKenzie Goat Cheese. Middle West Spirits from my hometown, Whiskey. Corsair Spirits, speaking of spirits in, uh, in Nashville. Uh, Little Tart Bake Shop down in uh, Atlanta. Artisans. Um, let's go. Let's see some fashion. Miriam Nasir N- Zadeh, right? We've got some shoes going on. Um, uh, I should think about my ice creams. Um, can you call our nut company, Cream and Nut Company, an artisan? Sure. They, they're doing a bunch of cool stuff over there. Um, uh, let's say June Taylor Jams. Um, while we're on jams, we'll just go ahead and name Sarah Beth because I just drove by that yesterday. Um, gosh, I feel like I'm failing miserably. I mean, failing to bring all these things in my head, and I have all these great makers I work with. Dairy, chocolate. Um, Sean Eskinosi, of course. Um, 
uh, Dick Taylor chocolates. Awesome. Um, got one more. Two more seconds. Blue Hill Farm. The, the, oh, God, the desserts are amazing. Hands up. Okay, that's great. It's okay. hard to be put on the spot. It's, um, but it, it just tells us, like, the way that your mind works. I love that there was fashion in there and, you know, people you've worked with and people you don't. And um, a local, because you're so devoted to the local food movement, I think it's fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> um, okay, I'm, I'm really, I'm interested in your, uh, what is called the wall of random inspiration and other inspiration. So can you tell us a little bit about what is the wall of random inspiration? The wall <laughs> in my office? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, um, just stuff, you, you know, it changes to stuff that goes up. I put put things up right now. I've got um, paintings by George Bellows. I absolutely, George Bellows is my favorite American artist. Um, I love how what he did was so raw. I love Winslow Homer as well and, like, all of that, and I think it's related, but I just love him. Um, and then, um, so I've got some scenes from him. I've got George Washington's son. <laughs> I am a huge, like, very patriotic person. I was brought up very patriotic and love, I, was, I mean, you know, of course we all love America, but, like, you know, I was brought up by a family who really took a lot of pride in that and were descended from the General Sherman family, and, wow. you know, um, that was always a point of pride. So I have, you know, George Washington up. I've, of course, you know, got some Hamilton stuff in there, too. I have Marie Antoinette's best friend in there. She had her head chopped off and um, stuck on a spike and... Um, paraded right in front of her window so i have her i don't know why but it maybe reminds me like you know um to just be careful i don't know uh yeah and then let's let's talk about the rolling stones i love that the rolling stones are are uh, i mean more than a band you like tell, tell me about the rolling stones role in your the Ro- rolling stones have played a big role in our company for a long time i mean they've obviously been sort of soundtrack but also just their um, longevity, their their um, uh, just I mean the way that they've they've weathered so many storms. I mean I I love the the raw I love Exile on Main Street. That's my favorite of their albums, um, and um, and like Rocks Off was just like I mean I think I've listened to that song. I mean I, I mean I'm a music music gets me off my chair. Music just is my fuel to go to work and the Rolling Stones probably more than almost anything else but I like how um, they've adapted and kept relevant I like how they're extraordinarily creative they reflect what's going on but their own sensibilities as well and that they you know they're business I mean I want to be a business like the Rolling Stones are a business right I think that you know and they and they have awesome people around them to help them do all the things that they do and that we think about that all the time let's be like them I love that. Um, I want to be like them, too. So yeah, I'm, right. I'm going to um, ask you to nominate uh, a woman, pay it forward, who you think be- belongs in the Hall of Dame. So strong, talented women in the food world who you admire. Um, who would you recommend? Um, do you want somebody who is now or somebody from a, a, you, another era? Take your choice. You're a history buff. I can't wait to see you. I know. I know. And I've been struggling with this because, you know, it's, yeah, there, there are, I mean, I, I'm so in love with, with Ray Eames and her whole thing um, and, and, you know, American sort of craftsmanship and design. Um, and then I have lots of ladies now that I'm, I absolutely adore, too. Um, you get one. I know. I know. And I, uh, and I have to, yes. I don't know. I don't know. What am I going to do? I, 
I, I can't. Just, I can't tell you. We're going to have to come back to yeah. that. Yeah. All right. I'm going to. Yes. I'm going to think of the best one. Ray Eames is great, though. I mean, I just I think of her all the time. She's always on my on my radar and how she kind of I don't know did all this beautiful stuff with color and we'll stick with Ray. Mm-hmm. And um, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream you've ever created? Um, ever it is uh, our lemon buttermilk frozen yogurt, and it's you know the humblest probably flavor that that we have, and um, it you know it's all about the ingredients. I mean, it's left for it's it's fresh squeezed lemon juice, lemon zest, um, cultured buttermilk, biodynamic yogurt, and really great milk and cream. Um, so simple, but I've been making it since 1996. Wow. And um, and our yogurts are my favorite of everything we do. And I think a lot of times when I get it in front of chefs, it's always you know almost always like their favorite as well. Um, but people are afraid of yogurt, and um, I, you know you should try our lemon yogurt. And actually, all of our yogurts—they're just incredible texture. And um, if you're a tart kind of person, then it's for you. I think that's great because it's Jenny's ice cream, but your favorite. <laughs> things of yogurt yes um well thank you so much for joining me on uh speaking broadly here at heritage radio network uh we are thrilled to have you and please come join us next week listeners noon speaking broadly heritageradio.com thank you this is dana Cowan saying have a great day Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. 